And all God's people said, Amen. You know what? Hasn't it been a great time already? Isn't it cool you come to church and God does just string it together like, like weaving a, a rug and this beautiful pattern immerses? How cool is that? I love it when God does great things. And I think that silly quartet needs to get off their duff and sing about once a month. Yeah, come on. Come on. I've talked to the worship leader. I'm pretty tight with him. I have to kind of get him motivated. You know, the video today asks a question that, that most of us at one time in our life or another have asked. And, and usually it happens something like this. Although it happens later on. We're a kid. We're probably 9 or 10 years old. Maybe we're 12 years old. And we're in the back seat of the car. And we're going on vacation. We're going to see grandma. We're going to do something. And from the back seat, daddy who's driving or mom who's driving. Here's that question. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? And things go on and on. And you know, it's often asked really for a couple of reasons. Maybe, maybe even three, you know. You know, but, but really two primarily. And, and first off is this. They're bored out of their brain. Come on. Let's face it. Unless you're picking on your sister and then it gets pretty exciting. Okay. Unless you're trying to drive mom and dad crazy. Then it gets really exciting until they stop the car. And then the excitement stops. But anyway. So, so really, you know, it's, it could be exciting. But they're bored. I mean, eight hours in a back seat is a pretty hard thing. The other reason, though, is the passion of the destination. Going to Disney World, going to SeaWorld, going to the beach, going to see Grandma. And, and it's only cool if you really have a great relationship with your grandma. But then it's, not, it's an urgency. It's an urgency caused by the destination. There's a passion there for that. And you know it's true in the Christian life? It asks the question, the video obviously was talking about, are we there yet? Are we there yet in reaching the multitudes of this world who have yet to even hear the name of Jesus Christ? Here, here in our culture, you know, with churches on every street corner almost, it's, it's like rarely do you find someone who doesn't know of Jesus, who doesn't know Jesus died for them on a Roman cross. Um, they might fully understand it, but they've got a general picture of what you know, Jesus is all about. But there's vast portions of the world who, they don't even know who Christ is. They know who Muhammad is, but they don't know who Jesus Christ is. And it's asking the question, are we as the ecclesia, the body of Christ, the church, are we there yet? Are we on that road that will lead us to the ultimate destination of every tongue and every tribe and every people at least hearing the gospel and having the opportunity to know Jesus Christ? Now... My point is this this morning, that was a sideline to the real message, is this. Before that can happen, we have to have a passion for the destination. Before that can happen, we've got to say, are we there yet? Not in the sense that, that we've arrived. In fact, Paul says in Philippians 3.12, not that I have already attained or, or am already perfected, or not that I've already arrived, but I press on. Hear that passion? One thing you say about Paul, you may not always like what he wrote. You may not like who he was as far as his gruff personality, but he was passionate. So he says, I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold on me. In other words, there's a reason why Jesus Christ has laid hold of me, and that is to help the world to know Jesus Christ as Savior. We are not left here just to do life. We are left here to do life passionately for the cause of Jesus Christ, for the advancement of the kingdom 
of Jesus Christ. And for some of us, that begins with our children, our two, three, four, five children that God has given us. And for a larger circle, on the job, in our church, at school, in our community, in our world. And some even goes beyond that to places like Nicaragua and Haiti and, and Mali and Niger and Uganda. It goes even bigger than that. So before that can happen, we have to be passionate about the destination and get on the road and continually ask the question, are we there yet? Now, how do you get there? How, how do you reach a point in your life where the passion is? How, how do you get there where, where if we are in science school, we don't serve a little king, we serve the king? How do you get there? Well, God has a plan. God has a process. God has a strategy for us to get there. And we see it beautifully pictured in Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through. And we're going through the first, first part of verse 9 if we go all the way through. So go ahead and take your Bibles there. Get your iPhones out. Get your iPads out. Get your Android device out. Or, hey, get your Bible out. And let's look at Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 9. And let's see the process that God brought Isaiah through on a journey to be passionate for the destination. All right? Here we go. Isaiah chapter 6 and verse number 1 through 9. I have to confess, I love this scripture. I love this scripture. Here it goes. In the year that King Uzziah died. And interesting, the journey begins with a death. The journey to be passionate about the destination begins in a death. And not just any death. In this case, it was the death of the king. And some people say that Uzziah was the last really pretty good king of Judah, of southern Judah. He was the end of the road. He was the last train. And like I say, as we're going to see today, he's really got his failures, but, you know, at least he was a train. You know, some of you guys are waiting for your, your life mate to come along, and you're, you're looking at the wrong person because you're going, he ain't much of a train, but at least he's a train. She ain't much of a train, but at least she's a train. And, and so we look at Uzziah, and he started being king when he was 16 years old. And he reigned for 52 years. And he really brought about a lot of reforms in the nation of Israel. But he wasn't perfect. In one place it says he didn't tear down all the high places of false worship. He didn't go all the way. But he made huge reforms uh, in the nation of, of Israel and Judah. So, so he really was a pretty good king. And then something happened in his life that I think really, really... And you understand Isaiah, of course, was a contemporary of, of Uzziah. And something happened in Uzziah's life that I think really grabbed Isaiah's attention. And we find that in Second Chronicles 26. Let me just read it to you. In Jerusalem, talking about Uzziah... In Jerusalem, he made machines invented by skillful men to be on the towers and on the corners to shoot arrows and great stones. Listen. And his fame spread far, for he was marvelously helped. Do you get that picture? Here's a king who was really doing some good things. And, and David, you said it. You know, it wasn't he was a great king. He had a great God. And he served that great God pretty faithfully. And, and because of that, he enjoyed a great success. Some of you have enjoyed great success in life. You've got titles and positions. But what you don't understand is, is that was not by your hand, but it was by the hand of the sovereignty of God. That what we are and who we are was by God working us. And young people, students, as you're here today... As your life is being formed, you must understand. I know a very significant young man named Trenton who's facing life decisions coming up. What college and what to do with his life. And the important thing is, whatever Trenton becomes or whatever you know, anyone else becomes, it's by the sovereignty of God if we'll be passionate about the destination. If we allow God free hand, he's got such a marvelous purpose for us 
and planning for us to fulfill in our lives. So Uzziah was marvelously. He was famous. He was a rock star. I mean, look, there's King Uzziah. And now, oh no, there's King Uzziah. But he was such a great king. And then the Bible says this. He was, he was marvelously helped until he was strong. But when he was strong, he grew proud to his destruction. So Isaiah, his contemporary, a prophet, called to be a, calling to be a prophet, he's observing this. And he knows Uzziah. He knows all the things he's done. He's watched the fame and success of Uzziah. And then he watches as Uzziah loses focus and gets proud. He starts saying things like, look what I've done. Not what God has done, but look what I have done. So the Bible continues in just a little bit. He goes, what happens is King Uzziah decides he wants to meddle with the things of God. So he goes into the temple and he wants to burn incense to God. And the only problem is that's not the king's job. It's the priest's job. So he goes in there to burn incense. The priests find out about it and they go and say, King Uzziah, listen, you're a great guy, but you're way out of your league here. This is not where you belong. And Uzziah in his pride said, I will do what I want to do. As long as it doesn't hurt anybody. I'll do it in Sunday school. I'll do exactly what I want to do. I can do what I want to do. And it cost him. Because the Bible says he was struck with leprosy. And the Bible says in 21, And King Uzziah was a leper to the day of his death. And being a leper, he lived in a separate house. For he was excluded from the house of the Lord. And Jotham, his son, was, was over the king's household, governing the people of the land. So here's a guy that had it all together and in pride. He said, I want what I want. God said, no, I'm the king, you're not. I'm God and you're not. And struck him with leprosy. And he lived a leprosy, with leprosy, the rest of his life. Excluded from the house of God. Excluded from the position of authority that God had given him. I'm sure Isaiah's just watching this. And it really made an impact on Isaiah. I think we could call it, and if you're familiar with this term, if not write it down, it was a spiritual marker in his life. It was a time when, when, when uh, Uzziah had lived, and Isaiah saw this happening, and it marked his life. It caused him to have a spiritual pause. And the grace of God and the goodness of God, you heard our friend Bill Moore stand up. And in the bathroom of a bar, he had a spiritual moment. He had an encounter with God in the bathroom of a bar. You know, the most famous one is a wonderful story about a guy named Moses found in Exodus chapter 3. You know, again, if you want to take your Bibles and turn there, but let me read it to you. Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. He led the flock to the back of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of a bush. And he looked and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. Then Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight. Why the bush, why the bush does not burn. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Incredible. Moses was doing life as a shepherd. God calls us a burden. He calls us a spiritual marker. He turns and looks and says, I've got to see what this is. And God spoke from the burning bush and called him to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt. So let me ask you a question. 
What spiritual marker have you had? What has happened in your life that has caused you to pause? Pause spiritually. If you're wise, to pause spiritually. It could be a, it could be a phone call from the doctor. It could be a promotion in your job. It could be a change of careers. It could be, you know, students, it could be even when, you know, when unexpectedly you're chosen the captain of the football team. It could be anything. It could be positive and it could be negative. The important thing is that as Christ followers, that we learn to look for the spiritual markers of our life. I dated a girl for like five years and had recently finally ended the relationship. And on a whim, a total whim, we think, by happen chance, by circumstance, of course, we don't believe in that, we believe in the sovereignty of God. I decided I would go to this church. And by happenstance or circumstance, I opened the door to the church and there's you know, five or six young ladies standing there. And by happenstance or circumstance, the one that caught my eye was the one sitting on the front row. And I, I asked her recently the other day, I said, how different would my life have been if that girlfriend of five years who was a very toxic relationship, if I'd married her instead of you, how different? I didn't realize it then, folks, but that was a spiritual marker in my life. And it changed my destiny. As a believer in Christ, may I encourage you to look for the spiritual markers in your life. Listen, we don't believe in circumstance. We don't believe in happenstance. We don't believe in accidents. We don't believe in luck. If you're a Christ follower, you must understand, you must understand, you must grasp the reality of the sovereignty of God in your life. He is in control. And if you're not a Christ follower, He's still sovereign. He's King. He's Lord. So some of you, I know your lives. And recently you've had this this move out of the clear blue sky. And, and I've, a couple of our talked to us. I said, you know, this is a marker. Now, what has God done in your life? There's a, there's a poem that Judy introduced me to a long time ago by, by Elizabeth uh, Barrett Browning. And referring to the burning bush, it goes something like this. Earth, earth is crammed with heaven. Now, stop thinking about that. Earth is crammed with heaven. Now, again, if you're not careful, you'll buy into the world's philosophy that God is, if there is a God, if there is a God, he kind of just gave the earth a spin and said, good luck. But if you truly understand how God operates in his sovereignty, you begin to understand that earth is crowned with heaven. And every common bush of fire with God. But only he who sees and takes off his shoes can sense God and know God. The rest will sit around the bush and pick blackberries. That's phenomenal. Earth is crammed with heaven. And every circumstance, every situation, every phone call, every action is a burning bush from God. Only those who see that 
will take off the shoes. Do you understand the semblance of that? God told Moses when he got to the burning bush, he said, take off your shoes because you are standing on holy ground. And when you begin, men, listen, men, as you lead your families, ladies, as as you serve your families and lead your families, understand that when you start seeing the burning bushes of life, you have two responses. You can take your shoes off and understand that your sovereign God is acting in your life. He's getting your attention. Or you can pick blackberries. You can go through life. Enjoying whatever world throws your way. And happenstance and circumstance. Or you can recognize the sovereignty of God. And I'm telling you, in the case of Isaiah, it caused him to pause and stop. And he saw God. Now look at me. Look at me. There's a God who wants to show himself not once every five years. He wants to show himself in your life every single day. All we have to do is have the wisdom to look for the burning bushes in our lives. That's all. It will will move your life from mundane and boring. It will move you from the back seat and the kids saying, are we there yet? Come on, can we we get this life over and just end up in heaven one day? Is that all there is? Or you can get the passion for the destination. Because you see, some of you guys trusted Jesus one day. And you thought that was the journey. It's over. I got saved. I'm done. No. You are on a Jesus journey. Just like there's not just saving grace. There's grace to live out each life. Each day of your life. The journey's not over when you trust Christ. That's a beginning, not an end. And you had the privilege of being called to a burning bush and encounter. A casual conversation with a friend who happens to mention God. A a time when a phone call comes and it changes your direction in life. You have that opportunity to trust God and continue the journey. He saw God. Now here's what I want you to get. He not only saw God, he saw God in a way different way. Because even though, even though Uzziah was a pretty good king, I told you, he didn't tear down all of the uh, idols and all the high places. But the bottom line is, life for the average Jew was pretty good under Uzziah. The economy was doing pretty good. He was a good military man, so the threats and the attacks from outside forces, they didn't lose wars, they won wars. This is not like America. They won wars. Life was pretty good. But in that process, as often happens, when life goes good, your God doesn't get bigger, he gets smaller. Because your need is, is smaller, your God gets smaller. So, so their God, on a day-by-day basis, had been reduced to worship at the temple. Worship at the temple. A little bit of church during the week. Uh, uh, now I lay me down to sleep kind of prayer. Uh, a kind of, God, thank you that I have food Today, kind of prayer. God, thank you for blessing me. Kind of prayer. That was their God. And that was the God that Isaiah was seeing around. But when, but when Uzziah died, when he paused and thought of the journey of Uzziah's life, when he saw that spiritual marker, he saw God in a whole different way. And he gives us that over in verses 1b through 4. 
He was, God was, sitting on a throne, high and lifted up. And his train, his robe, um, filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two he covered his face. With two he covered his feet. And with two he flew. And one cried to another. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Remember, heaven is crammed in every corner of earth. And the posts of the door were shaken by the, by the voice of him who cried out. And the house was filled with smoke. This was a God that Isaiah did not know in the culture. This is a God that Isaiah probably didn't know personally. But that day, he saw God as never before. And you don't know it. But some of you today are crying out for a bigger God. Some of you have surrendered, as we heard in Sunday school, to the smaller kings of life. Lust. Appetite. Passions. Prestige. Pride. Power. And there's a hunger in your heart for a king bigger than that. I know a king bigger than that. His name is Jesus Christ. Some of you are serving the God of religion. You're serving the God of religion. I told him in Sunday school, church is not the answer. The God of the church is. And God is calling you right now. Perhaps today is your spiritual marker. To pause what you're doing in life. To stop with Isaac's words. With Bill Moore's words. With the worship in Christ alone. Perhaps God has put you here today to help you recognize a spiritual marker in your life. That he, the king of kings, is calling you something greater and bigger than you ever dreamed. He wants you to have purpose. Fulfillment. In your life. So he sends these markers along. And we see God when we, when we, when we have the common sense to pause and to look. We see God bigger than ever before. Just keep this thought in mind. I know I'm reiterating, but I want to nail it down. There was only one burning bush. I want you to get this. We think that sometimes the burning bush has got to be his huge, massive circumstance. Honey, I just got a call from the doctor. I just got... I'm telling you, often the burning bushes are small things in our life. But as we grow sensitive with our vision, we can see incredible things as God shows himself to us. So Isaiah, Isaiah sees this magnificent picture of God, King of kings, Lord of lords, massive God in a country, in a country where God is. And I don't have to say it. This is America today. America serves a little God. But God wants to be God. In America again. So what happens? God sends a spiritual marker. One. The person turns and looks. Sees God as he really is. He's not a benevolent grandfather up in heaven. He's not a God that was created or the creator of God who he himself just exists for your purposes and pleasures. He, he's not the God who, who you say a magic formula in a prayer and you get whatever you want. It's not God. He saw God as he really was. Holy, magnificent, and powerful. 
And when that happens, when that happened to him, and when it happens to us, we see ourselves differently. See, when you see God differently, you see yourself differently. Did you get that? When you see God differently, see, as long as your God's this big, you'll probably never change a thing in your life or allow God to change anything in your life. But when you allow creator, magnificent God to be who he is, then you start seeing yourself as you are. Now, I'm sure Isaiah was a, probably a pretty good guy. He's probably pretty moral. Probably, you know, maybe had a bill, may have tagged a few bars, you know, beers in a bar, but not a horrible guy. But then when he saw God, something happened. The, the Bible says, so I said, woe is me. I am Undone. Because I am a man of unclean lips. See, when Isaiah got into the presence of the real God, when he got in the presence of the big God, he started seeing some things in his life that he needed to allow God to change. Notice I didn't say things he needed to change. I know, I know. Y'all, y'all come to church service sometime, and somehow the preacher matches your button just right. And boy, you get all fired up and I'm going to quit smoking. I'm going to quit drinking. I'm going to quit running around. And I'm going to quit. I'm going to quit. I'm going to quit. I'm going to quit. I'm going to lose this and start that. Until the emotion runs out. You know, I think, I hope I can get this halfway right. Jackie sent out a, a thing on Facebook. They looked in the mirror and said, I'm fat. I'm going on a diet. Going to start on Monday. And, and the voice says, today is Monday. And then the response was, next Monday. I didn't say you need to change. You've got to let this magnificent God work change in your life. Because you don't got it. You ain't got it. Come on, you figure that out. You want to control the passion. You want to control the lust. You want to control this. And you're not very successful, are you? We need to let the God of the universe... Who lives within us through the power of Christ. Enrich us and empower us. So we can have the victory. That he wants us to have. He said I'm a man of unclean lips. And and I dwell in the midst of of people of unclean lips. Isaiah said it's just not me God. My whole country's messed up. Hello. My whole country's messed up. And so God said. Okay. We're going to enter a 10 step program. I want you to start going to church. And when you start reading your Bible, I want you to start praying. And when you get better, come back and see me. Do you think that's what happened? Where did that come from? Why is it we expect people when they start coming to church to start acting like we're supposed to act? Most of us don't act anyway. When when are we going to figure out that, that, again, it's not us and we can't do it? No, you want to know exactly what happened? The Bible says this. One of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken from the tongs of the altar, from the very presence of God, from the very essence of God. He touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away and your sin is purged. God didn't enroll him in a get better program. God enrolled him in the grace program. 
God did for Isaiah what Isaiah could never do for himself. And that is true if you're here today without Jesus Christ. Like you're out there bumping your head around with religion. It is true. It is true. Jesus Christ can come in your life and he can change you dramatically. He can bring you to a relationship with his father through the cross. But hear me. It doesn't stop then. It's a journey, not a destination. We need a Savior the day I was saved. And I need a Savior every single day. I needed grace when I was saved. And I need grace every single day. Oh, folks, grab this. Get this. God wants to give you the victory, the purpose you're longing for. But it begins with pausing. It begins with a spiritual marker. Which causes you to turn and look at God. And you fire up before once you see God as He really is. Not a little tiny religion God, but a great big majestic creator God. And when you see that, you're going to recognize the need in your life. And when you recognize the needs in your life, there is a God who wants to take care of those needs in your life. He wants to come down and forgive your sins because He's atoned for your sins through His Son, Jesus Christ. What a process. It's all possible. In case you forget, it's all possible. Not because of the story from the Old Testament, though we see the cross from Genesis to Revelation. It's because of what Jesus did on Roman cross like this. Because he died, we don't have to. Because he suffered God's wrath, we don't have to. And because he was victorious, we are. Because he's victorious... We are. We are. So we have the seraphim, this, this magnificent creature, taking the, the, dare I say, the holiness, the righteousness of God, and putting it on his lips and says, Your sins atone for. Your iniquity is taken care of. When you reach this point, you will find sufficiency for what God calls you to. A young man we saw raised in our church. And simply said yes. Simply said yes. And God did the rest. It's incredible. It's incredible. It ends up with this. I heard the voice of the Lord. Saying, whom shall I send? And who will go for us. Then I said, here am I. Send me. God invites into the situation and says, who will go? And all Isaiah had to do was say, it is me. I will go. And I cut it off in verse number nine for a reason, because it says, and he said, and it doesn't matter what God was calling Isaiah to is what God is calling you to. Are we wise enough to see the spiritual marker that causes us to pause and see God? Which causes us to see God in a new way that we've never seen before and see ourselves as we really are and cry out God in repentance and saying, God... I'm unclean to receive the grace of God and be open to his invitation to do whatever it is he wants you to do. It, it, it could be being the better dad that you need to be. The better mom that you need to be.
the better student at high school, no one would debate the fact that, that in public school today there's a battle going on. And where Brent cannot go, these students can. Where you as a parent cannot go, these students can. They are on the mission field in the middle school, the high school, and even the elementary schools. For some of you, it may be being the neighbor that God's called you to be because there's a very hardened person in your life living next door to you and you need to be a missionary there. For some of you, it's doing the, main, main, the mundane things of life and simply doing what God wants you to do. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? We're not there yet in reaching the lost people groups of the world. We're not there yet in reaching the fourth largest lost nation in the world, which is America. We're not there yet in reaching our own community for Christ. Perhaps the better question is, are we on the journey? Are we wise enough to see the mile markers of God and turn and see Him so He can see us, so He can cleanse us and we can respond? Would you bow your heads right there where you are? Are we there yet? More than a few. More than a few of us in this room. If you look around, you'll see and you know probably by, again, through the message. Wait a minute, wait a minute. This could be a marker. Now my question is this. As you're at that juncture in your life, are you willing to look and see God in a way you've never seen Him before? Allowing Him to be bigger than you've ever been before? Are you willing to be passionate about the destination? If you're here today and you've never, you never come to a point in your life when you realize that you have sinned against holy God, and that if you have any hope of relationship with God, it's going to take something, and maybe you didn't have a word for it, but maybe now you do. It's going to take something called grace, where God extends His forgiveness to you through what His Son did on the cross. And my friend Brent's going to be standing down front, and we're going to have what we call an open altar this morning. If you want to take Brent by the hand and say, I would really like to know how I can have forgiveness, now, how I can have a new purpose and passion in my life. And we got some friends down here who will be glad to answer your questions and show you how you can come in relationship with Holy God. If you're here today and you're in a dark time in your life, listen as I speak as your pastor. There is a very strong possibility that God intends that to be a spiritual marker for your life. If you're in a time of great success today, there's no doubt that God could be one to use that as a spiritual marker. Let me read this words one more time. Earth's crammed with heaven and every common bush afire with God. But only he who sees takes off his shoes. The rest sit around and pluck 
blackberries. Father, through your word today, help us to see you. I am so very glad that I truly believe with my heart. I'm not conjuring it up. I'm not trying to make I believe it. I know I believe it. And I know it's your word that you are sovereign. And you are God. And you are calling people to one, know you, and then to know you more and deeper. And you arrange circumstances and events in our life that cause that to happen. Father, I pray in Jesus' name for my friend here today who has never come to that place of repentance from sin and experiencing your forgiveness. We understand from your word that only you can draw them. No emotion, no pastor can cause that to happen. It has to be you. So I pray you will draw people to yourself. And Father, I pray also for this. I pray for my friends, my brothers and sisters in Christ. As we journey together in life, may we see the burning bushes that you place before us. May we take off our shoes honoring your holiness. And may we be obedient to you. Let us not be guilty of plucking blackberries. And Jesus, I pray this in your precious name. Amen.